0: So here we are again, doing another isolation style podcast for your delight and delectation. Basically, the theme this time is the new normal, how we live now in this strange new world where you can't go outside anymore. And yet nature appears to be loving it. It's fully in bloom. I've never known a March and April as beautiful as this. It's been sunny every day. Everything looks gorgeous uh, and you can't go outside. Um, you know, that's not the biggest problem in the world. People are dying, John. Get some perspective. But uh, it is sort of amazing. Um, I actually can't go outside much anyway at the moment because I've managed to injure myself um, going for a walk. Uh, yeah, I did a light to moderate exercise and crippled myself, which is uh, just, just great. So I'm I'm feeling slightly claustrophobic at the moment. Um, slightly bouncing off the walls. And I think that's probably um, shown in the forthcoming words that I'm going to be saying to you in your ears. So, yeah, going mad in a room, in a house, but at least I'm not ill, I don't think. Who knows? Has invisible symptoms. We don't know even if we're dying at any given point in time. It's, it's, it's a fabulous time to be alive. The... Uh, you know, yeah, I'm depressing myself now.
1: Okay, bye. Thanks for that, John. Okay, Eddie Baby, cue the music. Mm-hmm. Hola stillmates, how are y'all diddling? At a safe distance at least, I hope. Anyway, the new normal. What's it all about, eh? For me, I've started walking with my mum, going for walks with my mother. Can you imagine such a thing? This is my new normal. It started when I had to drop off a thing for her. You know, a thing. It was the first time I'd seen my mum in nearly a month. Sure, we'd all been bashing away on the family WhatsApp, but my mum shifts in and out of that like a semi-sentient vapour. She seems only semi-aware or semi-interested in the flow of the conversation. And she'll occasionally drop in a non-sequitur into the mix that derails everyone's train of thought. We'll be all, oh did you see Dominic Rabb on the telly earlier? And that gets stopped in its tracks with a, send me that photo of you and Eli, Joseph. The one with the shirt. Thanks, I'm hungry. Then she bows out again for the rest of the conversation, making havoc in her wake. She doesn't do memes, my mum. You might say she's suspicious of geeks bearing gifts. <laughs> she wouldn't even get that terrible pun which probably makes her the better person. Anyway, I dropped uh, the thing, you know, the thing, off to her and briefly chatted at a distance, of course. It was really nice to see her, actually. She suggested a walk. I paused. Now, I know she's had the grandkids in the back garden uh, because when I rang her last weekend, I could hear the grandkids boisterously buoying away in the background. "'That's just the kids in the garden,' she said cheerfully. I paused for a moment. Um, Is that, you know... OK, Mum? I had to ask in the current climate. Oh yes, Yasmin's here. Ta-da! In recent months, Yasmin's here has become a sort of code in our family for permission granted. My sisters are both doctors. We defer to them in all matters pandemic and all decisions lockdown related. They've taken on a kind of magic eight ball status, only with better hair. Before I do almost anything these days, I'll hit one of them up for the lockdown lowdown. So, Yasmin, I don't need to soap my onions then? Or, if a dog licked my hand, I definitely shouldn't dice it in bleach before picking up the remote control again? That sort of question. In this case, Yasmin had decreed it was okay for her kids to see their grandmother, provided they kept to one side of the garden and she to the other. I'm briefly reminded of the mad millionaire publican of this uh, locale who suggested in the newspapers this week that bars should reopen in July so long as they practice social distancing. Two groups of people I've usually found wanting in social distancing techniques are kids and drunks and let's be honest most pubs do not have a Yasmin to hand. So when my mother suggested a walk again Yasmin was not to hand and if I told my mum that I'd have to check with Yasmin first She'd have scoffed at me right in my face, questioned my mental faculties and the like. I don't feel like walking on my own. And anyway, we can just keep apart. You can walk on the other side of the street. That was my mum talking, by the way, in case you were wondering. Was there a catch? I couldn't see one. I knew she needed to walk every day anyway to get her cardio fitness back to stop her, like, you know, dying. So we walked to the park. Me on one side of the street. Eileen, for that is her name, on the other. She soon relaxed and was reminiscing about the time when we were kids, back in our old house, when we had nothing but a back entry to play in. You just play in that entry all day, she called over, a little misty-eyed, and I didn't have to worry about the traffic at all, she continued. No, it was the paedophiles I was more worried about. She made this comment loudly as we passed an elderly couple taking their daily constitutional. Hello, said my mum, brightly to them. She's very friendly with strangers, my mum, before she continued. yes paedophiles would have had a field day if they'd known about that entry. She called over to me, gay and horrifyingly unfettered abandon. I couldn't even shout back, please stop talking about paedophiles, mum, as that would have made things, you know, worse. The subject, of course, changed, as it often does in these matters, and we enjoyed a brisk stroll around the park and back across the main road and down her street on either side, of course, back to the house. She made me a coffee and left it on top of the wheelie bin for me to come collect. Perhaps a sign that she's finally taking all our warnings about the importance of distancing seriously and not just performatively. Oh, mothers. I'm getting
0: lonely in my empty room Living on an island Working on another line Waiting for my friend to come And we'll get high
1: Anyway... I finished my distance coffee, got her to back off into the front room while I went into the kitchen, rinsed the mug and my hands in her kitchen sink and then moonwalked out the back door again to let her follow me out to say goodbye. Let's do this again tomorrow. That's my mum's voice again. Uh, My mum said brightly, I said I'd check with Yasmin to see if it was okay. My mum scoffed again, as expected. I still checked with Yasmin. Yasmin said it was fine, provided we were very careful about keeping our distance and touching the same stuff. So... It's now become a semi-regular thing, this. Part of my new normal. It's not even like I'm doing it under duress or guilt or out of duty or anything. It's a brief escape for me, honestly, from the friendly prison that is my house. It's the only change of scene I'm gonna get for the foreseeable fucking future. A weird sort of me time with my mum tagged on at the end. And to be fair, we've had some great chats. She told me about my sister's hospital department only getting so many PPE masks and that they were so tight they leave these spindly criss-cross wheels in your face like a strung-up ham. She told me that my niece, Maya, was sewing a cushion for her mum for her birthday. Um, here comes mum's voice again, by the way. I told her when we were FaceTiming last night, Maya, you must have picked that talent up from your great-grandfather, Paddy. He was a tailor, you know. My mum then explained that seconds later, Maya howled that she just pricked her finger and dropped the bloody needle. Oh, maybe not then. Better find that needle, Maya. If somebody sits on that and it goes straight up their arse, then it's straight to casualty. My mum reenacted this exchange with some gusto and with typical mother timing, just as another elderly couple were walking past us. I say another elderly couple, that's more of a hope than a definitive statement. We do wacky stuff now, mother and I together, like trying to identify flowers in the park. We spotted snakes' heads, which were new and delightful to both of us. We also witnessed, no other word for it, a blackbird in mum's garden yesterday. It was sauntering about looking for something unspecific that it had a trouble finding right in front of us. It was gently thrilling. This is my new normal, people. My mum told me that it's now really boring walking on her own. That's because I am fantastic company, mother, I told her. Deadpan. She laughed. You're a raconteur, all right, she said. It sounded sarcastic, but I knew it wasn't. We find some trees in the park planted in the year of her birth, planted by uh, Belfast councillors at the time, as I understand it, because they all had little plaques at the bottom with their names on it. This lot didn't leave a mark, but they made a mark, she said, impressively, navigating her way through the first draft of a thought. I thought it didn't need any further work. I couldn't have put it better myself. I went for a walk with her again today. That's four times this week, and it's only Thursday. Like I say, people, welcome to my new normal. She asked whether I'd ever fancy having another kid, giving her a 12th grandchild in the process. At my age, I laughed uproariously. I added, though, that a friend of mine gave birth the age of 44. For the first time, my mum asked, actually impressed, did she go through UVF by any chance? We both laughed at her mistake, and I explained that she'd opted for the more orthodox method in the end. My mum genuinely thought it was called UVF, by the way. Welcome to my new normal. My mum is now my mate. I go round to my mate's house most days to hang out with my mate for a bit. My mother and I have had our differences over the years now. She thinks I should have a proper job, for example, and I think Bob Dylan's overrated. But now she's my lockdown mate. This is my new normal. I fully expect the old normal to resume sometime in the future but the new normal may have irrevocably changed certain things to such an extent that they can't go back to what they were. And in many ways, I suppose that's okay. When I saw my mate slash mum earlier, I suddenly had this urge to run over and hug her. But of course I couldn't. Yasmin would kill me, but not before I'd maybe killed my mother. Instead, before I headed back home, I called out to her, so nice to see you today, mum. She Being slightly deaf replied, Yeah, okay, I'll ask Fire later. Which, in this new normal, I suppose is fair enough.
0: We all live indoors. We always have. That's what indoors was for. But now we're stuck there with the people we've chosen to live with. Or we're stuck there with people we're stuck with. Or we're stuck on our own, staring at the thin trickle of traffic outside, wondering what bin day it is. Once a week we're allowed out to clap the key workers and wave at our neighbours whom we never used to talk to and then we go back inside and read on social media that we're twats for doing so. Confused people contend that the government are forcing us to do it and internet tough guys still maintain that anyone applauding the NHS is attempting to physically slap the guilt of voting Tory out of the palms of their hands like a religious mortification of the body. Others are saying they're bored with just clapping nurses and doctors and we should be clapping Amazon delivery people and shop workers. I'm not sure how they found out I was deliberately excluding those people from my applause, but they are right. If I even suspect another kind of key worker, a bus driver or somebody volunteering to make soup for the poor, was appropriating and enjoying my very specific applause... I will bundle them physically to the ground and bite their ears off, despite this contravening governmental health guidelines. The bloody cheek. And neck. And collar. I'll still go out and applaud the key workers, because the government, who have appropriated this gesture and confused a load of paranoid hippies, certainly won't be. I have no doubt that Boris Johnson, freshly sprung from an ICU and now back on the ward, like a carry-on grotesque that he is, dipping his thermometer in his tea and making Dominic Raab take his cod liver oil so he shits himself at the podium, would have learned nothing from his ordeal. The pandemic would have stopped the NHS being sold off in bits to America by five years, tops. And contrarians on the internet will tell us that's great too, because, hey, at least it's an opinion. The internet is a rose garden. It comes in a million subtle shades and hues and is full of pricks. Here we are, staring through the glass. Nature, like a sarcastic prick, has given us the nicest March and April that I can remember. We're all stuck inside the house, watching bees headbutt the windows and birds get cocky. Birds are loving this. They're singing their heads off, and we could just understand their sweet, mellifluous language. We would know they are roaring, Where are ya? Where are ya? Like underemployed football hooligans, over and over again, the unedifying bastards. People seem to be doing okay. They're mostly keeping their distance. They're doing their best not to kill one another. It's the base level you would expect from a civilised society, but I'll take it. Remember it too, as you will soon not be reading any of this in the press, in the same way that the non-event that was a clap for Boris was inflated even beyond the confines of the man's ego. Or even as the tabloids trilled, what a great day when he got out of intensive care and failed to mention the thousand people who had died of the virus that day. You will read in the press that Johnson is a fighter, that he beat his illness with pluck and character, as opposed to early testing and the most advanced medical facilities available to the country. We know how he caught this illness, possibly alone outside of the medical frontliners who were dropping like flies, and it was because he refused to take medical advice and went round hospitals cheerily shaking hands with the sick. Of course he did that. He thought he could charm COVID-19, or bamboozle it with posh joshing, or bully it. That's what he's done with everything his entire life. And when it didn't work, he listened to experts, did what he was told and got better. Will it change him? Has he learned a lesson? No, of course not. It'll be proof of his strength. I beat this. Proof of his character. And most of all, a boost to his everyman status. Even I can get this. I am just like you. This will be the turnaround. When he returns to fronting the plague, it will be with renewed gravitas. He's had to take it seriously, and now so will you. If you get it from here on on, it will be your fault. The papers will soon be choked with stories about selfish idiots making inessential journeys and demand the return of capital punishment for treachery. We will see a buying a morning paper escalate into civil unrest. The police will be given greater powers. The powers will be vague and threatening. Sus laws will be extended to include non black people. We are charting choppy and chilly waters. And all because Boris Johnson reckons he's too cool to wash his hands after leaving a hospital. This is how the world ends. Not with a bang, but with a wanker. I could leave you, say goodbye. Or I could love you, if I tried. And I could. And left to my own devices, I probably won't.
1: There are no seagulls anymore. Not in the town anyway. Has anybody else noticed that or is it just me? One of the results of lockdown, certainly around our way, is that pigeons and magpies have returned strutted out in our backyard, cocksure and pumped up with puzzling avian swagger. I remember last summer one casually circling gull would have those fuckers fleeing in all directions. The gulls would then clean up, literally. The thing about having a reputation is, you don't usually have to act on it. Others will react all on their own. And that's what the gulls have, a reputation. But now they've fucked off back to the coast. It's just like old times in the backyard, Birdsville. Magpies hustling. Pigeons gormlessly poddling. Oh yeah, poddling, it's a word I've invented. Crossed between a paddle and a waddle. Pigeons gormlessly poddling about. Always with a side eye on the main chance. One of the fuckers shot me the other day, a magpie that is. When I was doing the garden Oh yes Doing the garden is what I do for fun now This did not figure in the old normal Whatsoever The old normal was desperate Facebook posts Looking for someone to do the garden But it's all I have now The garden Don't take that away from me too You bastards Yes anyway Where was I? So a magpie shot on me And it fucking hurt At first I thought A very small child Had thrown a stone at me from a tiny window Which, if you think about it Is the least likely scenario there is Ask yourself at least two questions How? And why? I grabbed my shoulder It felt wet Blood! Jesus Christ! What was going on? I looked at my hand Shit! Load of shit Viscous Vicious Lime green Guano Running through my fucking fingers Spreading across my shirt Like a dirty ink blot I shrieked The magpie shrieked Well it might and it just shot a bullet into me. Now I'm not saying there was bruising but my shoulder was discoloured and not just from the shite. This would not have happened in the old normal. Say what you like about gulls, at least when they swoop in for the kill to take your sandwich or your child's eye, they give you fair warning. Speaking of raptors, the alacrity with which the advertising world has adapted to the new normal would shame a xenomorph. By xenomorph I mean those terrifying adaptable aliens in the Ridley Scott movies, most of them not so good but terrifying nonetheless. Co-opting our fear, our need for community. That's not the Xenomorphs, by the way, although they are nasty pieces of work, as previously mentioned. I'm talking about advertising and capitalism, of course. Anyway, co-opting our fear, our need for community, our hope for a way out of this, and people's sudden affection for the NHS. All of that stuff is fed through capitalism's retooled fact-mincing machine. It's two parts revolting to one part actually quite impressive. The worst of all these ads is the new... Fucking Kevin Bacon, EE ad. You know it. Mr Footloose sits there using his acting to look sad for the camera. Normally I'd be making a joke, but not today, weeps Kevin, all teary-eyed, hamming it up like yesterday's joint, followed by a bunch of NHS we love you, claptrap, we're clapping and rooting for you whilst rooting the absolute fuck out of you. That last bit's not in the advert. It is no surprise to learn that this is in fact a Sachi and Sachi joint, that advert the most evil of all the advert agencies, who are all essentially evil anyway. Now that's concentrated, unbelievable evil. That's unbelievable evil presented by one of the Russells, which I know Channel 5 would go for. That's the sort of evil that chuffs out uber slick ads to get the NHS raping Conservative Party elected again and again, and then also gets Kevin Bacon to do some acting to deliver a PR sop to an utterly beleaguered and embattled NHS. It's kind of like getting a get well soon singing telegram from the bloke who also put you in intensive care, which probably has to turf you out a week early because of, like, no funding. It's epicurean epic evil. Is that the new normal even? Perhaps not. just the same exquisitely vile baubles packaged for the new paradigm. Although, out of all these new caring, sharing adverts, the only product, as far as I can tell, that's failed to indecently grind the zeitgeist is Viagra. They're troopers. They really are still selling that little blue pill with imagery that definitely belongs to what I'm now calling the pre-pandemic age. Frolicking couples running about the place, contaminating each other. Although to be fair to Viagra, I'm not sure how a Viagra ad for the self-isolation age would work. Well, actually, I do. But hey, Steelmates is nothing if not a family podcast. Values.
0: Back in the old normal, I used to go into town and sit down in a cafe and write. I liked the ambience of cafes. I like being locked away in a world of my own with the hubbub of other people's lives. I liked the steaming and banging of the coffee machines. I very occasionally liked the music. It was good to leave the house to go somewhere else to work, like it was a proper job, and I wasn't just a deranged fantasist scribbling mad nonsense into a notebook. Though, that's obviously exactly what I am. Occasionally, if I strayed too close to the magic hour, six o'clock, I might swing by a pub and drink beers with friends. Yeah, remember that? Beers with friends. That was the old normal. In the new normal, how we live now... That can't happen. In the new normal, I lie on the sofa watching the magical children's adventure series Merlin, mainly because I fancy the actress playing Morgana. I graze. I drink so much tea that there is never a point, night or day, that I don't want a wee. I am merely facilitating the transfer of a body of liquid from teapot to toilet. I am taking it on a short walk up the stairs. I hurt my foot a week ago attempting to exercise and have barely left the house since. Today I put my knee through a pair of jeans because presumably I now have fat knees. The bath groans when I get into it and I displace more water than Moses and the fleeing Israelites. I gave up drinking supposedly for a year but with occasional lost weekends for good behaviour. But my birthday coincided with the dawning of the age of the contagious and I've been boozing semi-regularly since then. Susan and I have regular restaurant nights, where we cook up a fancy meal, get dressed up in our finery, and quaff fine wines while listening to jazz. Our weekends have the woozy, decadent feeling of two cosy middle-aged people getting tipsy and failing to find anything worth watching on Netflix. Quiet days in cliché, it is not. Waistband tormenting, it is. My new normal is being fat in a room with a television until it's time to go to bed. Some childhood dreams do come true. In an attempt to claw back some control, I've started writing in the garden. The weather has been almost sarcastically lovely. I have access to a garden and one of the lawn chairs still takes my weight. So I've been strolling out across the decking, sitting down at our rusting garden table and scribbling away merrily in a notebook. The coffee is free and the sound of my neighbour's angle grinder is only slightly more annoying than the Café Nero playlist. I'm being quite productive. I've written a number of political monologues that will never be used. I've written what I think is a good short story. I'm writing what at the moment is a very bad short story that I'm hoping I can polish into something strange and beautiful. I'm even getting paid for some of them. And that is something I would like to become the new normal. In every dream home, a heartache And every step I take Takes me further from heaven
1: Is there a heaven? Oh, thanks John. That was idyllic. I'm listening to that and I'm in your garden now. No, not literally. Still, just, just don't look out the back, okay? Anyway, enough allusions to me being a mad fan of Johnny Muggins and uh, back to the new normal. Queues. Queues are getting shorter. I don't mean the number of people queuing. I mean the distance between the people queuing. Now, don't say I'm imagining this. I'm not. I walk past the sad-eyed queue at our local Tesco every day. This incremental undistancing is the perfect analogue of the natural state of the growth of human complacency. It's our natural condition, the old entropy, from steely order to slackening urgency, mainly because it's boring to stay resolute in a pandemic. I mean, sure, it's going to end up killing millions, but there's no immediate tangible threat, is there? Not here, not outside Tesco, not now. We are shocking. They never tell the full story of the boy who put his finger in the dike. After a couple of hours with his finger in the dike, and nothing happening. He thinks, I'm sure it would be fine if I slipped off for a quick woodbound. I'll only be five minutes. What could go wrong? My new normal is to stop buying stuff online. Like that will fix everything. That needs to be my new normal. This week I bought a dartboard, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee's autobiographies, a sixth month supply of instant coffee, 11 films I didn't need to see. I broke my dart. I now see Lenny Henry's doing a comedy telethon to help raise, is it fucking funds for the NHS? the fucking nerve. Sweet Theophilus P. Wildebeest, please do not let that be the new normal. I said Wildebeest, in the original Afrikaans. I'm such an aesthete, I think that's the word anyway. Also, household name actors have started responding to that voice in their heads that tells them that they must never be selfish with their gift. So now there are lockdown TV dramas to look forward to, to remind us all of how lucky we are to be alive at the same time as Eddie Marson and Robert Glenister. The new normal, it seems, is everybody being on social media all at once, all of the time. Dancing, miming, clowning, boggling, live Facebook baking, and hey, what fairy cakes. That sourdough ciabatta gives amazing Insta. I tried baking Guinness bread the other day, actually. I had no Guinness. So I improvised. We live in such times. The Carlsberg loaf that emerged, well, let's just say that even the magpies wouldn't touch it. And those guys are definitely not fussy eaters. In the absence of tangible human society, people do need to show that they're creative, fun, and hey, ever so resilient. And I suppose that's understandable. I mean, it's not as if there's anything else going on. Unless there's something going on that I'm not privy to. (laughs) The interweb is chock out with tricksy choreographed workouts or centrist dads getting their cute kids to flap their gums in time to Lady Gaga. You can imagine the number of takes before the finished upload, the screaming, the flapping, dad bawling... What have I said, Tommy? Tits and teeth! Tits and fucking teeth! To his traumatised offspring. So, the NHS clapping in our street has become more half-hearted with each passing week, I've noticed. And I must admit, unlike Johnny P, I never really went for it. I expect he'd label me one of those keyboard warriors who do nothing but impotently sneer. And yeah, he's probably right. Although I'd like to think that he'd word it prettier. And can you imagine the top bants we'd be having right now across the table about this manoe mano in pre-pandemic times? No, me neither. But in my defence, my reticence springs mostly from the fact and the cold hard fact of that, that I have two sisters who are literally working in the front line at the NHS right now as I actually speak. One in a maternity ward with little or no protection, the other in a palliative COVID ward, literally the place where all the people with COVID-19 are. And neither of them are that bothered about claps or badges or crowdfunders or heartfelt thank yous from Zoe Ball or Dave Grolsch, or whatever his name is. You see, they see what's been happening to the NHS since, ooh, forever. Investment, a material care of workers, Trump's, excuse the pun, all of that other stuff, such as the platitudes of Kevin Bacon. Mind you, the other reason I don't want to go out and clap on our street, is that I'm scared of our racist next door neighbour. Oh yeah, and have you noticed how there's no seagulls in town anymore? Me too, me too.
0: Trump is a signifier of everything that is wrong with the world. He's so handy. It's all there. He's a one-stop shop of human failing. It is difficult to imagine anyone quite so lacking in redeeming qualities. Even Bond villains have a bit of polish and charm. You can imagine Blofeld and Drax hiding behind their newspapers when Donald bowls into the country club. He's such a convenient repository for cupidity and malevolence that once again you start to suspect there's something more going on. This presidency is a hoax. He's a guileless puppet. Russia is ball deep in this. But then you're doing exactly what he wants you to do. You're playing his game. He wants you to disappear down some paranoid truther rabbit hole. His method is misinformation, fake hoaxes, real hoaxes, the proposal of muscular ignorance. He will enter a room full of qualified men, no girls allowed, listen to the first three words of any sentence directed at him, and then just go with his gut. The leader of the free world is a 70-year-old digestive tract. He is the Vulgarian's Vulgarian, a born millionaire with the sensibility of a lottery winner. And yes, that is a terrible disservice to lottery winners. If you've been poor all your life and you're suddenly presented with a dazzlingly huge amount of money for nothing, then you are entitled to go mental. Imagine waking up in the morning and realising you can buy anything. Donald Trump has had that his entire life. You wouldn't think he'd feel the need to show it off. His trophy wife, engraved, or his Swarovski crystal fanny pack. But he does. He needs the display. The trappings of his wealth are his armour. If he shits a Happy Meal into a solid gold toilet every day, he must be successful. Dolly Parton said of herself, employing the sort of charming self-deprecation that Trump couldn't even comprehend, it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. Donald Trump doesn't even look good cheap. I think you can assume his suits are expensive and made for him, So one has to ask what his body is doing to them to make them hang so poorly. They bulge and sag like a mail sack. He looks like he gets his suits tailored in prison, and the prisoners know who they're working for. Donald Trump's face, with its fish-belly eye bags, looks like the worst type of aspen tan. It's like a balaclava of what's-it dust. I don't know how he hasn't been devoured by seagulls when standing at an open-air podium. Trump's hair is one of the seven shit wonders of the modern world, up there with the Mediterranean Sea's plastic pollution and the novels of E.L. James. It has a consistency somewhere between shredded wheat and loft insulation. He looks as if he's working through a childhood trauma, remembering when he was dumped headfirst into a candy floss machine at the county fair. As if Trump ever worked through anything in his life, except paid company. I can't imagine, and it is my failing, what it must be like to be Donald Trump. I can't imagine what his value system is, should he have one. Clearly he doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about anyone but himself. And he doesn't care if you don't like him. That's your problem. But, and I think this is key, he doesn't understand why you don't like him. It worries him. It upsets his gut. He hits the Rennie Deflatine hard. This is why he won't listen to experts, won't stick to the script, will engage in cheerless moronic spats with people in public, but he will stick around. He will give you access. He will let you ask him as many questions as you like, as long as you appear to be nice to him. Trump believes that everyone will come to love Trump, as long as they get enough Trump. The only subject that Donald knows anything about is Donald, and the admiration shown to Donald. He knows nothing about all that presidential shit and he doesn't care. Facts and figures, fuck them. It's Donald that's going to win it. He's a moron. He has no discernible inner life. He can't construct a sentence. People who don't agree with him are nasty. And that's the level of discourse. He clings to his notion of business like Linus and his security blanket as though the toxic notion of bludgeoning a mythical corporate enemy is the only thing a president has to do. His handling of the coronavirus pandemic should have been career-ending. He did nothing. He claimed it was nothing, and when he eventually had to act, it exposed the full horror of the American dream, with millions of people suddenly out of work and thousands unable to pay for hospital treatment. When criticised, he called doctors whiny, and, at the point of writing, threatened to remove funding from the WHO for not telling him what was going on. They dropped the ball on this one. His credibility should be in tatters, but instead he seems to be more popular. He is the poster boy for ignorance. The exemplar of loud loudmouth, willful stupidity, and if I were writing this anywhere else but the UK, I would be looking on in uncomprehending horror. But I am in the UK and we have our own albino bonsai version of Trump. Suddenly, full of praise for an NHS he was party to dismantling and asking us to clap and make charitable donations to an institution he has cut the funding of for a decade. As of today, a 99 year old man has raised 16 million for the NHS by dragging his ancient body round and round his garden. What an amazing man! What an astonishing feat! and watched the government co-opt it just as they stole the genuine solidarity and feeling that came from clapping the key workers. When I see Eamon 5G Holmes endorsing it on breakfast television and trying to make people clap along to the rhythm of We Will Rock You, I can't help but get the feeling that we've been cheated. The BBC are doing a Children in Need style fundraiser, which is all very laudable, but where is the fucking government? The NHS is not a charity, it is the actual health service for the country. Getting the public to pay again for the health service they've already paid for should be shameful to a government who have been in power for a decade, who laugh in the face of pay rises for the nurses who are now the nation's heroes. They're thinking of giving them a little badge, and Boris is happy to front it all as virus face. He may not be the poster boy for the new ignorance. But surely he should be on a stamp, though I wouldn't lick it.
1: Wow, thanks John. Another perfectly pointed polemic from the grand master of curmudgeon, Mr. J.P. Higgins of this parish. Thanks everybody for listening in. This is us signing off. Uh, Obviously we can't do it together. I have to say, as I speak to you, there's a street party going on outside the window here. I'm at my mum's house and there's uh, some kind of neighborhood gathering. There's a man, fat man dressed as a nun, Another man dresses housewife Freddie Mercury with Hoover. And is that yes, yes, there's an old woman on a deck chair swigging directly from a bottle of Gordon's gin. It's like a Fellini cheese dream. Oh yeah, and there's a giant dog barking along to Smash Mouth walking on the sun right now. It's a delightful tableau. The second wave of the pandemic was going to start anywhere. I think it's going to start on my mum's street. Anyway. I just thought of a few things while I was editing this podcast about my new normal and how things have changed for me. I'm not on universal credit, which obviously is no fun. I've always known it was a particularly unpleasant affliction for the desperate and the vulnerable. But now I'm actually on the receiving end of it. Uh, the abstract has become considerably more unpleasantly flesh and blood. Um, speaking of the abstracts dissolving, the pandemic itself has started to get a little real for me. My friend, one of my very good and oldest friends, lost her father this week. He'd been in hospital since the start of March. Um, she hasn't seen him since the start of March. COVID-19 took him this week. The next time she's gonna see him will be when she's cremating him. So that kind of hit home a lot for me. And also a young Sudanese doctor, who a heart surgeon rather, who looked after my mother when she had a very serious procedure a couple of years ago and visited her every day. A beautiful human being by all accounts has died in self-isolation. So it's not a drill, people. This is a drill. protect yourself and others by practicing distancing still and at some point it will hit us all mark my words before it's over but enough ill-considered doom and gloom john unfortunately got his trump polemic out a day too early Uh, donald has been urging us all to inject our veins with detol and bleach and such like there's always something to keep our spirits up another new thing that's happened to me during lockdown my new normal is oh oh, they're playing an isley brothers song at one about that summertime one it's nice the dog's still barking, though. Freddie's Hoover uh, is getting a good leathering, though, to be fair. Lonely Lockdown Nights. Sorry, another, I'm, I'm digressing. Another thing is that I've started writing poetry, little lockdown poems. I am determined that this does not become the new normal, though, because the only people who write poems are the feckless and deranged or the very talented, and I'm definitely not in the latter category. But here's a little lockdown poem to soothe your aching brow. Joe's Lockdown Poem. Oh, before I do Joe's lockdown poem, again, I can't stress enough, thank you for listening. This is all very new to us. I hope you like it. We know you're listening. I have a little gadget that counts the number of listeners, if only to massage my ego. Do give us a follow, if you can, on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, the two platforms where Steelmates is available for absolutely free. We give of our time freely and happily. You know us. And thank you again for listening, guys. You can let us know what you think if you like. Or don't. Actually, don't. If you've got nothing good to say, don't bother, okay? Only kidding. We love you. Joe's Lockdown Poem. Lockdown is great if you're introvert, boring, impossibly tactless, or given to snoring. Lockdown's okay if you're south of the border, stocked up in booze, on a restraining order. But lockdown's a problem, both naughty and thorny. For claustrophobes, joggers, and the incurably horny. Taddy bye, everyone. Stay safe. Stay distant. Kiss, kiss. Does my heart go on beating? Why do these eyes of mine